Good morning, everyone. We are, uh, due to popular demand, in the process of giving a series of lectures on Dogen's life. So Jaku talked um, last time about Dogen's life up to the point of him going to China and coming back. So I'm gonna pick up uh, just at the tail end of Dogen coming back from China. And uh, if I don't finish in about 30 minutes, with this talk, Jaku's going to do part three next week. I have 11 pages of notes, so I think the chances are pretty good that I'm not going to make it through this last part of his life. All right, so first of all, I want to say that um, the source material, well, first of all, I want to say that Dogen's biography is mostly compiled from his own writings. And uh, that's the Shobogenzo. So he talks about himself in the Shobogenzo, in the Zoe Monkey, which is uh, talked about in the course of this lecture, or Jaku will uh, next week. Tenzo Kyokun, which are instructions for the cook. Hokioki, uh, which is a record of his private conversations that he had with Tendo Nyojo, which we don't usually talk about here very much. And it's kind of a diary that he kept while he was in China. And um, it was, uh, according to He Jin Kim, his earliest work. All right, so contemporary source material. Um, I was using He Jin Kim, which is the book Ehe Dogen, Mystical Realist, and the first part of it. There's a really nice biography above by Kim of Dogen. And then a more recent one uh, written mm, last year, two years ago by Stephen Hine, in his book, Dogen, Japan's Original Zen Teacher, and also a workshop that Hoko um, Carnegas, who is the vice abbot of the Sanjin community in Bloomington, Indiana. There's a series of lectures that Hoko did on, uh, on uh, that you can find on uh, YouTube about Dogen's life and various other things about Dogen, overview of his teachings, et cetera. So that's very good if you want to do that. The lectures, each one, I think there are six. Each one's about an hour and a half. Hoko is an entertaining lecturer and a colleague of ours. And so I highly recommend those lectures. Okay, so uh, last week we talked about, well, how long was Dogen in China? I thought six years, uh, Jaku was saying four, it was four. So Dogen was in China for four years. And as she talked about in 2023, he went to China. In 2024, he visited a lot of temples and was disappointed in the practice there. And in 2025, he through 2027, he met uh, Ru Jing and had this awakening experience that Jaku talked about. He practices with Ruijing, and again, in Hokioki is the record of his conversations with um, Ruijing, and these are questions, comments, and answers between the two of them. And this record uh, was discovered in 1253 by Ejo, who was uh, Dogen's main disciple, and Ejo uh, then uh, made it available uh, more widely. And he said, Ejo said when he, when it, that he wrote about his discovering this text 
of Dogen's, and Joe said, the above is included in the documents left by the late old Buddha. So that would be Dogen. As I began drafting this, I wondered whether there were others still left undiscovered. So he was thinking, hmm, maybe there's some more writings by Dogen. Um, what I regret is that the record of his achievement may be left unfinished. In sadness fall a hundred thousand tears. That's what I liked about this quote. In sadness falls a hundred thousand tears. So as we know, Dogen resonated with Ruzhing's teachings and felt that this was the true way. And Ruzhing gave lineage or Dharma transmission to Dogen and acknowledged his mature realization of the Dharma. And after that happened, uh, Dogen returns to China. He begins to teach uh, Soto Zen in Japan, and then Ruzhing dies a year later in China. All right, so some just now I want to talk about a few things about stories about Dogen, about his last part there in China, and they're kind of mythological stories about what happened for Dogen. And these kinds of stories are good to, you know, kind of boost the efficacy of a person's teaching and their sort of specialness. So there's a few of these that I'll talk about when they happen. So Dogen, the night before he left China, was supposed to have copied the Blue Cliff Record. The Blue Cliff Record, our contemporary version of it, is a uh, hundred koans with commentaries. And in English, this book is 558 pages. So it's highly unlikely that if Dogen did copy the Blue Cliff Record overnight, that maybe it wasn't the Blue Cliff Record that was 558 pages in English. But he was helped by Hakuzan, who helped him finish doing this copying. And Hakuzan was a god. So Hakuzan came and helped him whip out this copy of the record. So, you know, those are mitigating circumstances and perhaps he did actually uh, find the ability to be able to copy that much overnight. So this text is called the One Night Blue Cliff Record and it still exists. And it's at a Daijoji Monastery in Japan. I've never seen the one night Blue Cliff record, so I don't know how long it is or exactly what's in it. Um, but because of this, Dogen is credited with having introduced this text, the Blue Cliff record to Japan. Now the Blue Cliff record is a very, very, very important koan collection. And it's still used today in koan curriculum and many of the koans in the Blue Cliff record Dogen talks about. So he's credited with having brought this text, which was written, you know, a little, I think in the, it written in the 12th century, but it hadn't made its way to Japan yet. Okay, so there are other miracle stories associated with Dogen. Um, and these kinds of stories abound in Buddhism. There are miracle stories about Shakyamuni Buddha um, and many stories like this. And, you know, again, as they, as I said, they kind of boost the spiritual power of the person to whom they are attributed. So um, when, at a certain point, when Dogen was in China, he got sick. And 
when he was saved by being given medicine by the Japanese Kami Inari. Nari came to him and gave him medicine. So let me say what Kami are, if you don't know. Kami are kind of deities and spirits that are venerated in the Shinto religion. They're associated with the land, with nature, or with deceased uh, folks, holy beings. Uh, they have to do with universal energy. Uh, Nari is a god or Kami associated with rice cultivation and prosperity and food. And so Anari is usually depicted as a bearded man riding a white fox. And most of us know Anari as being like the fox god or the koan around the fox. So Anari is also could also be a woman with a long flowing hair uh, carrying a sheave of rice. So whether or not it was the a woman or whether it was this bearded sage who came to see Dogen, he uh, saved him, and he saved him because he knew that Dogen would go back to Japan and spread the Dharma. So uh, what he gave, or he or she gave Dogen to cure him, was an herbal medicine called Gedo Kukan, which means poison dispelling pill. Now this pill was sold by the Sotoshu up until the 20th century. So it was considered something that, that made some money, a little money for the school, and they sold these pills, uh, the po poison dispelling pill. Okay, this happened before Dogen uh, left China. Now, when Dogen left China, uh, of course, he went by sea, and on the ship that was taking him back to Japan, there was this horrendous, uh, oh, excuse me, right before he went back to Japan, he encountered a vicious tiger. Now, we don't know where he encountered the tiger. Somehow, I don't think it was on the pier with the ship, but somewhere in his travels in China on his, at the latter part, he encountered a, a tiger. And so he climbed a tree and he sat Zazen in the tree and the tiger goes away. And thus Dogen was saved because I'm sure the tiger felt this amazing spiritual energy coming from Dogen Zazen, and so he decided to spare his life. Another miracle happens on his way back to uh, Japan on the ship. Now, maybe some of you have heard this story. I hadn't heard the other stories. I knew about the one night Blue Cliff record, but I didn't know about the tiger or about the, the pill situation. So this story is pretty famous. Dogen's coming back. If, if you know that the the Straits or the sea between Japan and China is notoriously uh, rough and difficult passage. So he was on the ship and a storm comes up and absolutely everybody on the ship thought the ship was gonna sink, that this was, this was it. But Dogen said, no, let's all chant to Avalokiteshvara, Kanon. And so everybody on the ship got together and they all started chanting to Kanon to save them or to help them, and she appears at that point. And when she appears, she makes the storm subside. And the way this is depicted in the iconography around Dogen is she is in a boat that's shaped like a leaf. So she's either standing on a leaf or she's in, in this little leaf boat uh, and on the ocean. Now, 
Dogen was so moved by this that he wrote a poem of gratitude. And the poem goes, from the single blossom, five leaves uncurled. Usually we think of the single blossom, the five leaves uncurling as being Bodhidharma, talking about the five petals of Zen. So that could be a reference to that. So from a single blossom, five leaves uncurl upon one single leaf, but Tathagata stood alone. So that would be Kenon. Her vow to harmonize our lives is ocean deep as we spin on and on, shouldering our deeds of right and wrong. So that would have been the poem that Dogen wrote in gratitude. Her vow to harmonize our lives is ocean deep as we spin on the top of the ocean. So there's this, Dogen has this, uh, the ocean steel samadhi, one of the fascicles in uh, Shobogen. So in the ocean steel samadhi, he talks about how we walk on the top of the ocean and walk on the floor of the ocean simultaneously, that that's our practice of this way in which we go deep, 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 deep into this universal harmony, if you will, of the functioning of the whole world, functioning together, that's walking on the floor of the ocean to be able to manifest that. And at the same time, this relative life that we are living and manifesting that. So if you think of delusion as being this spinning on the top of the ocean. So um, her vow to harmonize our lives is ocean deep as we spin on and on shouldering our deeds of right and wrong. So this karmic sense here happening. Okay, so after he made this perilous passage back to Japan, he arrives in the town of Kumamoto in Kyoshu, which is one of the islands, and uh, which is in southern Japan. And from there, he traveled back to Kyoto, where he'd started from. So altogether, the voyage and the travel back to Kyoto took him about um, two months to get back there. And then when he got back to uh, Kyoto, Dogen took up residence in Kenenji, which is where he had started out originally for China. Uh, Kenenji was a, was a monastic community that was partly Rinzai, partly Tendai, uh, lots of people practicing together. And the Kenenji is also the place where, if you recall, he met Menzon, uh, Myozen, who was the guy that he, the monk he went to China with, and Miozen died there before Dogen came back from, from China. Okay, so when he first got back in the period from about 1227 to 1232, so if you remember, Dogen was born in 1200, so this is pretty easy. He was from the time he was 27 years old till he was about 32. Um, and this is from Stephen Hines' book, Dogen was thinking about how does he establish a Soto Zen Sangha, our training temple in Kyoto. And from Dogen's point of view, you know, we say he brought Soto Zen to Japan. But from Dogen's point of view, he brought Buddhism, I mean, excuse me, back from China. From Dogen's point of view, he was teaching Buddhism straight out that there were no, he says there are no schools of Buddhism. Um, but the reality, the free, so for him, it's just Buddha's way. 
But I would say, looking at the history of Buddhist philosophy, which Dogen knew, he was not ignorant about how Buddhism had developed and the different schools of Buddhism. Um, you know, he's teaching Soto Zen and he's teaching something, his particular spin on Soto Zen. So for him to say that he is only, that he's not teaching a new school in Japan, that he's just teaching Buddhism is interesting uh, to, to know something about his personality, I think, that he viewed uh, his practice in this way. And he interpreted uh, the early Buddhist teachings and everything through this lens of his understanding. So I think that, you know, this says that he was a zealot in a certain way that he had this, you know, burning um, energy uh, to understand uh, all of Buddhism through a certain lens. And so he didn't think of it as being his way in particular or being Soto Zen way or whatever, although I have to say that he did clash with Tendai and he did clash with Rinzai his Rinzai neighbors and his Tendai neighbors. So clearly he you know, thought that there was something awry with their understanding of uh, Buddha's way. So um, that was how he was thinking about Buddhism, I think, you know, throughout his whole life. So I think it's unclear whether Dogen had students as soon as he came back from uh, China. Um, he, I don't think he was a teacher at Kenenji. Um, but he, and again, he would have been practicing with Rinzai and Tendai monks. Uh, it was during this time that he met Koan Ejo, who later became his primary disciple. And uh, they had an initial meeting and they, they talked to each other. And then, and then a little later, Ejo said, you know, will you be my teacher? And Dogen said, no, not right now. Wait until I have my own temple. So uh, that was his original dialogue with him. Now, while he was at Kanenji, he wrote in 1227, Fukan Zuzengi. So this would have been right after he came back from China. Fukan Zuzengi, we chant that on Thursdays, I think. The universal promotion of the principles of Zazen. So if you look, even just look at the title, the universal promotion. So this is a universal teaching of these principles of Zazen. So Zazen is a universal teaching. And um, this was a rewrite of a Chinese text that, that had already been written. Uh, there's a book about this that Carl Billifield wrote called something like uh, Dogen Zen Manuals of Meditation. So if you wanna get in the weeds of this, that's where you would do it. Um, so Dogen modified these Zazen instructions to fit his understanding of practice. Uh, and it is his very first text. And so he clearly felt that this practice was super important. Otherwise he wouldn't have chosen that. Personally, from my observation of reading Dogen, I think that the very first texts that Dogen wrote were about teaching people about how to practice. He was trying to tell them something about how to do this practice. Uh, some of his fascicles later on are uh, kind of his take on what would be kind of classic teachings, like, for example, Kuge, which has to do with this. There was a, a image in early Buddhism, this early Mahayana Buddhism, this idea that you had cataracts in your eyes that represented delusion. 
and that you were trying to get rid of the cataracts in your eyes. And Dogen took that and said, no, the cataracts, this isn't fascicle kuge, the cataracts are actually a sign of the bodhisattva's engagement with the world. So these cataracts are not a problem, but they are actually the manifestation and the reasoning of why we practice. So that was the kind of thing that he was doing later, or he might take a koan and uh, do an interpretation of a koan. But these first few fascicles, I think, Dogen came back and he wanted to really clearly lay out for people how to do this Buddhist practice. So um, even now we still chant the Fukan Zisengi and is chanted all over the world in Soto Zen temples. Um, so he lived at Kanenji for a while, but in 1230 he left and moved, moved to a little hermitage called Anyo uh, which was a little temple outside of Kyoto. And, you know, it's unclear why he left Kanenji, uh, because, but it could be that he had created ill will because he was fairly opinionated. You can see this in the Shobogenzo. Uh, sometimes they clean these translations up, but at times Dogen says in the Shobogenzo, this person was an idiot, <laughs> you know? And this person didn't know what they were talking about, or this person that, or this person this. So he was particular, there were certain teachers that he was particularly critical of. So I have a feeling that when he got back from China, that he was really enthusiastic about this new school that he was bringing. And maybe he wasn't as skillful as he might've been in the way that he um, transmitted this enthusiasm. So he might've left because people didn't like him, he might have left because he was disappointed in the practice there. Uh, maybe he left because he wanted to create his own monastic practice. And as I'll talk about later, that's something very specific, which, um, you know, he, he needed uh, certain buildings. He needed certain ways to practice. So maybe he just wanted to get out of Kanenji because he wasn't able to do the practice the way he wanted to do it. Uh, so he moved to this small temple on your hermitage outside of Kyoto. And now by this time he has students and those students come and visit him at this hermitage and study with him. He also had women students, uh, particularly a nun named uh, Rionen. And he says of Rionen, he says about her, uh, her sincerity cannot be matched by others. So this is something he said that uh, Hein quotes. So you can see that he um, had this close student-teacher relationship with her. Now, um, he taught uh, laymen and he taught lay women as well. And so he was teaching the laity. The laity would have been upper middle, upper class folks in Japan. He wasn't just, but it was a very, probably very select group of people who were literate, who had money, who were part of the government or the royal family or the um, military elite. So, um, so at this time, he believed that anyone could be realized, which I think he believed all of his life. Now, so, you know, in early Buddhism or in some Buddhist schools, there's this idea that women cannot become enlightened. You have to be born a man in order to become enlightened. So uh, there are schools that believe that. 
As Westerners, I don't think there are any of us who believe this. Um, and Dogen didn't believe this. And that makes sense because from the doctrine of emptiness about no inherently existing this, that, or the other, how could you say that if there's no inherently existing woman, no inherently existing man, how can you say that there is some inherently existing you know, sex that you need to have, gender that you need to have in order to be uh, realized? So, and I would say, you know, about Dogen's teaching is he always looked at it from, almost always looked at this from the perspective of non-duality. So he was always had this open-minded way in which he understood the teachings that they weren't fixed uh, in the kind of way that we would have to fix the teachings in order to say, for example, that women could not be realized nor could lay people um, become realized. So, in 1231, he wrote Bendoa. Bendoa means talk on pursuing the way. Bendoa is an extremely clear um, explanation of Dogen's understanding of practice. And it was written in a question and answer format, which was atypical of him. I think it's the only thing he wrote that was in a question and answer format. And um, again, this was meant to be a primer on how to practice Soto Zen. In 1232, so a year later, he started writing the Shobogenzo. Shobogenzo means the true Dharma eye. And this is a collection of essays about Buddhism from Dogen's understanding about Buddha's way. And uh, they are made up of practice instructions, koan commentaries, and other, other essays about the doctrines. Okay, so what can we understand about Dogen's life so far? Are about sort of who he was. I think he was a dedicated practitioner. Um, we know very soon that he was a builder because the next thing he does is build a monastery in Kyoto. So he was a builder. Um, he, he was willing to persevere and endure hardships to achieve his goal of transmitting the Chaodong Zen to Japan. So Chaodong was the name of the Soto Zen school in China. Soto Zen, Soto is just Chaodan, uh, sort of transliterated into Japanese. So he transmitted the school to Japan. Um, Dogen mentions, uh, excuse me, Jaku mentioned in her talk about how Dogen cried the first time he heard the rope chant in China. And we know from that and some other things that he wrote in this, particularly in the Eikoroku, that, you know, Dogen was pretty sentimental. Uh, he was uh, very heart-based in his practice. Um, he was quite critical of the Chinese monks because, for example, they did not brush their teeth, which he found pretty abhorrent and disgusting. And uh, he's talked about how they didn't brush their teeth with a twig, which I guess was what was being done in Japan. But he was also critical on a, a larger note uh, that he felt like they weren't serious about practice. He didn't feel like the teachers that he met in China were really very good teachers until he met Ruzhing. And then he felt like, okay, now, now I am in the presence of the true Dharma. Again, as I pointed out, he was quite vocal about his opinions and he wasn't, because of that, he probably wasn't the most popular guy in the room. So, you know, here you kind of get a sense of 
what his personality was like uh, and who he was. He was also an innovator uh, and he was willing to write his teachings in vernacular Japanese rather than Chinese to make his teachings more available uh, to people. So that's interesting because he really wants to propagate this dharma and he's not being elitist about how he's going about doing it. You know, I think I've been talking for a half an hour. Are you all still up for a little more? Yes? All right, here? Okay, I'll do a little more. Um, all right, so in 1233, he established Koshoji Temple, uh, which was through the patronage of the Fuji, Fujiwara clan, who Jaku talked about. They were his original patrons. And he, uh, his first thing that he taught there was uh, this first chapter of the Shobogenzo, which means if it's in chronological order. There are like all these different versions of the Shobogenzo. And some of them are not in chronological order. Like for example, Dogen did a version that he was putting together that was called the 70 chapter version or the 70 fascicle version. Those are not in chronological order. Usually, if we're reading them, contemporary versions of the Shobogenzo, they're usually around 90, 99, somewhere in their chapters. Those are usually presented in um, the order they were written. So Dogen, the first thing he supposedly taught in 1233, in the summer of uh, 1233, was uh, Makahanya Haramitsu, which is a fascicle on the uh, Heart Sutra. So, uh, and then that same year, later on in the fall, he wrote Genjo Koan, which again is another text on how to do this practice. So this was his first ango at Koshoji. And my guess is he decided to do the Heart Sutra as his first talk because, well, it's a Zen thing, right? This is like a hugely important Zen, short Zen text for us. And I think that it makes sense that, that as that this would be his first sermon at Kanenji, I mean at Koshoji. And when he was at Koshoji, he had about 50 monks living at the monastery, and he gave precepts to 2,000 lay people. So the precept ceremonies back in the day were large. And you know, we just went to uh uh LA and did Jukaye, and there were, I think about a hundred people taking the precepts. And when at when they do precept ceremonies at Eheji, there might be 400 people taking the precepts. So it's possible that he could have given precepts to 2000 people. Um, so that was something that he did there as well. And um, it is at this point that Ejo joins, in 1234, Ejo joins Dogen uh, at Koshoji. Ejo, like Dogen, had studied Tendai Buddhism and uh, he was well-born, he was very well-educated. And Ejo is important because he became Dogen's right-hand man, if you will. He was the one who edited almost all of Dogen's fascicles in the Shobogenzo. He's the one who found the text that Dogen had written about his time with Ruzhin. He is the one who created uh, the 
the text of uh, Zui Monkey, which is a series of talks, short talks that, that Dogen gave, a very clear sort of in vernacular talks, Ejo uh, put that together. So he was a super important, and he also carried on the teachings after Dogen died. Um, so, and uh, yeah, so Edjo joins it at this point. Um, then Dogen starts to compile what's called the 300 koan collection in Japanese, the Shinjin Shobogenzo. This is a, just a compilation of 300 koans that Dogen thought were important. It was written in Chinese. And um, Dogen had also been kind of honing his way of talking about koans. Uh, during this time. So he's starting to develop, Dogen's starting to develop his style as a writer. And you can look at a text like the Makahanya Haramitsu and you can see that stylistically it's very different from the Genjo Koan. Um, so he's starting to develop this style. He's also writing teach. he's also writing poetry and he's starting to sort of develop his teaching style. And uh, all of these things are happening together. He's also attracting more students and donors uh, who want to learn about Soto Zen in Japan. And so this is a foundational period. And Dogen must have been in pretty good health. Uh, he must have been really driven to do this incredible amount of work that he was doing. And you can see, I think I'm gonna stop after this. And when Jaku picks this up, uh, I figure she'll be talking about how he actually put together the practice that was happening at um, Kanenji, and you will see uh, Koshoji, I'm sorry, I keep getting this messed up. And at Koshoji, and you'll see how much energy it must have taken Dogen at this time to put this practice together. And um, so, you know, we know that he, again, was uh, persuasive. He must have been very persuasive to be able to raise the level of money it would have taken to do this, to put this together, and also extremely inspiring uh, for monks and for the lay people who are his patrons. Okay, so I'm going to stop there, and uh, Jaku can can pick up next week. <coughs> and I'll take questions and answers. I mean, yeah. I'll take questions and answers. I'll give answers, maybe. <laughs>